The Doctor's Eyes Only podcast community knows that life is multidimensional and creating wealth that matters goes beyond the balance sheet. Join us twice monthly to hear from inspirational physician guests and subject matter experts with unique insights for physicians in both life and business. Glean clear takeaways to improve your life and medical practice starting today and leave inspired to live your own wealth that matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Doctor's Eyes Only podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Helmuth. Very excited about today's episode. So some of the most common questions we get from our doctors is, as we help them with their financial planning, is centered around the question, how can I give to causes or people or organizations that I care about and receive a tax break? So to help scratch the surface on the topic is our guest today, Tim Eber. So give you a little introduction to Tim. Tim is an alumni of Indiana University, and then he completed his law degree at Thomas Cooley Law School before entering into practice. He served primarily high net worth families, working on estate planning, business succession, corporate law. Then he shifted his focus specifically to the area of charitable giving, went back to his alma mater, and has served there now for the past 10 years as director of planned giving. Tim, thank you so much for being here this morning. Well, thank you, Cameron, for joining me as well. I appreciate it and having me on. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit, just what does your position entail and what do you do day to day at IU as Director of Planned Giving? Well, basically, I work with our donors uh, who are predominantly current or retired physicians, and I help them explore different charitable gifting strategies to fit their particular purpose and situation, often involving conversations with their financial advisors and attorneys to make sure that we get to the correct tax smart strategy they're looking to accomplish. Got it. So let's say I'm a doctor and I'm interested in finding a way just to donate to an organization. Maybe it's my alma mater. Where do you just start the conversation? What are some of the first things off the bat that you need to start talking about to understand what might be best for me? Well, the first thing, obviously, I need to figure out with them is, are they looking to make an outright gift now? Are they looking to make an estate gift uh, or perhaps maybe a combination of both? Then we shift really into the assets available for gifting. Are we talking cash? Are we talking stock? You know, in some instances, perhaps real estate, uh, usually cash and stock is the starting point. And really, we just discuss the, the pros and cons of each gifting strategy that might be a good fit, as well as any tax implications. So can you start maybe at a high level, maybe just describe what's the difference between something that's an outright gift versus an estate gift, or maybe like a testamentary gift, some people might know it as. Right. Great question. Well, you know, an outright gift, uh, the simplistic version is you just write a check, send it in. The testamentary estate gift would be, especially with IRAs, you know, most of our donor physicians, most physicians listening will have an IRA retirement plan making a beneficiary designation for a portion of that money to go to charity, which means they won't receive it until much later. Those are the two different ones that come to my mind. Got it. And then what would be the, what's the primary difference as far as tax treatment between those two? I mean, there's obviously it's, is it just the difference between taking the deduction today versus later? And I know there's a lot of in between, right? With different strategies we'll get into later. Right. I mean, you're really looking at the income tax deduction when you make an outright gift today, which is what most donor physicians are looking for. Uh, from an estate perspective with the IRA, there's perhaps an estate tax component for minimizing exposure. 
But more importantly, it's it's tax efficient to leave IRA assets. If you remember, those IRA assets are pregnant with income tax. It hasn't been taxed yet. Mm-hmm. On distribution, it is. So uh, it's tax efficient to leave some IRA assets to charity. If you have children, maybe then you give them the investment account assets from a tax perspective, income tax perspective. Yeah. And and to that point, I mean, I think when Tax Cuts and Job Act happened, and this is a little off script, but we've heard a lot more of this come to light because the standard deductions went up, but also some of these itemized things that doctors were taking before. So if they're still charitably inclined, they might have to be doing more of that charitable deduction to be receiving similar itemized write-offs as before. So have you seen, I've heard of this strategy is kind of like bunching these charitable gifts together. Have you seen more of that? And could you maybe explain high level what that is? Yeah, bunching. So, you know, if you typically, if you're a donor physician who typically, let's just say, makes a $5,000 charitable gift each year. But now in order to get into the environment where you can take itemized deductions, that $5,000 in one year may not be enough to get you to that threshold to itemize. So maybe you bunch and maybe you make three years worth in one year. You combine it. So you make $15,000 this year, which might be enough. Again, it all depends on everybody's personal financial situation. But let's just say that $15,000 helps them get into the itemized deduction area. And then you bunch, you accelerate those three years into one. And that's what they mean by bunching. So we're seeing definitely some donor physicians uh, who make annual outright gifts bunching in order to take advantage of the uh, itemization of their tax deduction. Got it. So let's say we, we've talked a little bit about what the, the high priorities are as far as my, you know, I'm a doctor. I, I kind of know what I'm trying to achieve with my gift. I kind of know what the, you know, whether it's a current, you know, year we're trying to make an impact today or wanting to do it in an estate plan. Where, what are the next steps? What are some of these types of planning that I should be looking at specifically around that gifting? Is there any other financial planning or tax planning strategies I need to be thinking through? Well, you know, obviously the, the, the big generic answer is it kind of depends. You know, we're going to shoot for working with that donor physician to find something that they can settle upon. That's a tax smart strategy. I love using that phrase. You're going to hear it probably from me a little bit on this podcast. And one of the ways also to make something tax smart is a projection tool called a lifetime cash flow projection tool. Depending on how big of a gift a donor physician might want to make, I often encourage them to consider utilizing that particular planning tool. Okay, tell me a little more about that. So with the lifetime cash flow projection, what does that look like? And what is that trying to encapsulate or what is that trying to help visualize for the doctor? Great question, Cameron. The lifetime cash flow projection, you basically get to look at today what your assets are going to look like when you're older. Most of these cash flow projections are illustrated out to about age 93, 95. And so it presumes you know, your current income. You can build into this projection the uh, annual raises. You can build in when you're going to retire, which means now maybe your income decreases. You build into this projection the living expenses that you have. You can assume a, a certain growth of that. You can indicate how that'll change as well, maybe perhaps upon retirement. But the key is from a charitable perspective, you also plug into this cash flow projection your large charitable gift that you're looking to do. Usually, quite frankly, when I say large gift, everybody has their definition of large, but let's just say it's $100,000. Mm-hmm. 
gift, or perhaps maybe it's a half million dollar gift, charitable gift, outright gift. Can I afford to make this gift? That's what this planning tool does. It shows you if you plug in all those variables, put all the investment returns uh, assumptions in there, it'll let you know how much money you have in your 90s after you make this large gift. And it will let you know if you have sufficient or insufficient assets, or maybe it'll raise, you know, red flag, oops, too big of a gift. Donors, doctors love this cash flow projection because it shows them what the future might look like financially for them. Yeah. And I think it's pretty common. I mean, with, with a lot of our clients, we see it. I'm sure you see it obviously every day too. It's usually one of two things. If people are interested in a gift, it's either the fact that we are intentionally saying, I want that to be part of that. I mean, everything you just described is a financial plan, right? That's a well-rounded financial plan. So it's either saying, I want this gifting strategy to intentionally be a part of my long-term retirement strategy and financial plan. And then you just have to plan accordingly starting today. Or the opposite is we see a lot of doctors who just have an excess and you're looking at a financial plan 40 years from now and you're saying, hey, doc, you're going to have two, three, four million dollars of money that is going to be left at the end of this plan. So what do you want to intentionally do with that? We talk a lot about it's either potentially leaving that unearned wealth to family and that might be the right thing. But to your point, you just have to understand what those goals are. And maybe charitable gifting is the end all for that excess money. But you have to know where you're starting before you can make those decisions. Correct. Right. And as you know, you know, the personality types of physicians, they wisely want to know what they do today, how it impacts them tomorrow. Now, I want to throw a little word of caution out there. In my experience, and I've been working with physicians for 20 years, Mm -hmm. not all of them work with financial advisors. Sure. And those are the ones that tend not to have this planning tool available to them because, again, they're kind of doing their own financial money management, uh, tax planning. But for the listeners, I would like to say you can hire a financial advisor just for that limited purpose of running that cash flow projection if that appeals to them. And again, my experience when I've worked with physicians, I've yet to have a physician regret running one of these projections. Yeah. It just helps make informed decisions one way or the other, right? Whether Absolutely. You, yeah, you, you learn, is it, is it feasible or not? Correct. It, it provides peace of mind. And, you know, you know, from a charitable perspective, right? I work for a charity. We don't want someone who makes a large gift two years later say, holy cow, I think I may have uh, overgifted. We don't want that. We want them to have peace of mind. We're always encouraging our, and I, you know, all the listeners on today, you definitely work with a financial advisor if you're going to make a big splash, I, uh, a big gift. Make sure it's a good fit and doesn't derail your golden years, so to speak. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about you know some of these other common reasons that you see doctors wanting to make a gift. I mean, what are some of the most common things? Obviously, there's the income tax deduction, which could potentially be even more important if we see some of these rate hikes and and income tax brackets that are being proposed, that'll be important to watch. What are some of the other reasons you see people wanting to make gifts or or what else have you seen in your day? Right. Great, great question. And obviously income tax deduction, that hits every physician across the board. They're all looking to to maybe minimize their income tax liability. So there you're looking at an outright gift that they'd have to make. Mm -hmm. But the other motivations, if you will, some have the, the motivation to minimize exposure to the federal estate tax. Now, that threshold is quite high right now, 
individuals with $11.7 million or more in assets would be exposed to the federal estate tax, married folks with $23.4 million and above. So that doesn't touch an you know, overwhelmingly large percentage of physicians right now. But some physicians do have that kind of money, and they are worried about the federal estate tax. They want to minimize their exposure. A little word of caution, those high thresholds are set to expire at the end of 2025. And so it'll sunset, it'll catch more people will be exposed to the federal state tax. And you had alluded to, as to the income tax side, it's also true on the federal state tax side that Congress could, before the end of 2025, look at lowering that threshold. It's always been a political football for, you know, for 20 years that I've been doing this. It goes up and down all the time. So it, yeah. I would caution our listeners to pay attention because it could get lowered at some point down to that five, seven million dollar threshold. Any assets above five or seven million, any estates could never catch more of our physicians, quite frankly. And it's important to remember that in the not so distant past, what was what's now eleven point seven million dollar exclusion per person was only two million dollars back in just two thousand eight. So I mean these swings, <laughs> it's not like some inflationary number that jumps a little bit, you know, here and there. These are huge swings and Frankly, I've seen doctors and we've worked. It's like, I'm chasing my own, I'm chasing the tax tail here of letting it, you know, the the financial plan, the estate plan. I guess, what do you recommend to doctors listening? Like, how do you mitigate that? How often should you be reviewing and changing? Because it could drive you batty doing it every three or four years. Well, great question. And it's funny, as you were talking, I was just thinking that most donor physicians and most humans for that matter, but let's just stay focused on the donor physicians. Yeah, they're trying to grow their assets. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to grow themselves into a federal estate tax problem, which is a good problem to have. That means you're you're at that higher you know threshold compared to most Americans. But as you just alluded to, that threshold changes. It, it goes up, it goes down. So it's important that that they do work with a financial planner, stay up to date. I know from an estate planning perspective, people love to do an estate plan, put it on the shelf for ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really can't do that if you are, uh, you know, from a federal state tax perspective, because the tax legislation does change from time to time. Yeah. You need to stay engaged with that that uh, financial and tax plan. Yeah, we normally, I mean, just a rule of thumb for us, we normally say, you know, three to five years, that that's a pretty good time frame to be sure that you're doing a, a intentional revisit of the estate plan, just because some laws can change significantly in that time window. So yeah, the years of, you know, 10 years on the shelf, that's just not cutting it anymore. Because frankly, the last three or four years have just been simplifying plans. So it doesn't mean that it has to be more complex, even though you have a much larger dollar amount. I mean, really, you can simplify plans in that situation, which, you know, adds again, peace of mind to a doctor's financial plan. It does. You're absolutely right. Three to five is, is definitely a target that makes some serious sense. And finish up that question that you had asked regards to, you know, motivations for gifting. We talked income tax, estate tax, but really the other side of it is, you know, perhaps recognition and or legacy. Uh, so it's not so tax driven. You know, some donor physicians love to create maybe a fund somewhere at a charity that they're very passionate about. And as you know, physicians are very compassionate people. Sure. Uh, they tend to support charities that help reduce or eliminate suffering. And so it gives them meaning, adds increased purpose, if you will, when they make a, a legacy gift, whether it's an outright gift or an estate gift to a favorite charity. Maybe it has a, a fund that bears their name forever. Uh, it really adds some, some extra meaning 
purpose to their life. Now, that's a great point. So you mentioned a couple of times some of the more common ways that you mostly see physicians donating to whatever the organization would be. Just maybe if if we're looking at the common ones, I'm thinking primarily like, a, you know, probably cash and then maybe mm-hmm. stocks. So can you start talking about cash donations and what are some of the benefits and I guess the, the tax ramifications of that for a physician? Right. Uh, and cash is where every physician and donor start. You know, they look at their checking account, investment account. They say, hey, how much cash do I have? Because that helps them kind of determine the size of the gift they might want to make. So that's very, very common. But I do want to draw the attention to a particular wonderful time right now. This year, technically 2020, this was available. But in 2021, cash is king, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that This could be the year a physician to consider making a little larger gift they might normally make. Why? Why is that? Because Congress passed legislation that enables a donor to deduct the charitable deduction up to 100% of their adjusted gross income, 100% of their AGI. That is an historic threshold. And it's in response, obviously, to the pandemic. This Mm -hmm. is not going to continue into 2022. Uh, It did exist in 2020. It was extended into 2021, but it perhaps will go away. And if someone were to take advantage of it, which I worked with a donor in 2020 who did, she actually had a million-dollar bequest in her estate plan. And on the, upon the advice of her advisors, she converted that into an outright gift in 2020, a million-dollar outright gift, because it effectively eliminated, now obviously she's an ultra-high wage earner, it effectively eliminated her income tax liability for 2020. So cash is a place where most people look to make gifts. Absolutely. This year, cash is king because of that 100% AGI deduction availability. It's it's remarkable that they allow, right, eliminate or significantly reduce one's income tax liability. It's remarkable. Yeah, that's 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 huge. So what about stock? Let's say if I'm a I'm a doctor still interested, just don't have cash in the bank or maybe have earmarked for something else. But uh, specifically, I know that you talk a lot about those low basis stocks. I want you to talk more about that and some thoughts on stock donations. Right. Low basis stock is way to make a gift that actually is tax smart as well. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Well, you look at your investment account, look for a stock that maybe you bought at $25 a share. Now it's maybe selling for $100 a share. So that's what I'm referring to. We're referring to as low basis stock. You paid for it at at something much less than what it currently trades for. By gifting the low basis stock directly to a public charity, you effectively give more money in the hands of the charity than if you had sold the stock first yourself and then gifted the net cash proceeds. And of course, that's because the public charity doesn't incur any tax upon the sale of that stock. Again, $25 per share. Now it's selling at $100 per share. So you effectively give more money into the hands of the charity. It's a very easy transition to, to send shares of stock nowadays from one institution into the charity's financial institution. And too often, you know, physicians aren't totally aware of gifting low basis stock. It's very simple. You get more money in the hands of the charity and you don't have to incur that income tax liability, that capital gains tax actually liability when you do that. It's a great tool. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing point to make. So if you think about this in in concept, if you have this stock that's appreciated, you're considering that gift, the current capital gains rate at the highest, you know, anything over 
you make over 440,000, you might be at a 20% capital gains rate. But then there's also a little surcharge on top of that of 3.8%. So roughly, if you cash that out, we're still interested in giving it to the charity. You're just giving away about a quarter of that growth to Uncle Sam versus gifting the entire portion of that stock and letting that. I think that's a huge you know, thing to remember. And a lot of doctors don't know that. Is that those charities do not pay tax. So they're not being penalized, quote unquote, to get that appreciated stock. The other thing I think that is important to talk about is I think with these proposed tax changes, we don't want to just keep like talking the tax game only. We're not CPAs, but it is very important to remember some of the proposals on the docket right now are increasing that capital gains rate to potentially as high as your income tax bracket if you're making X number of dollars. Right now, it's pretty high. I think it's about a million a year is what they're proposing. But the bigger thing, and maybe you can talk to this a little, but the concept of potentially losing a step up in basis, that is a a big, big, big component that could help the charitable strategy you have in place. Can you talk a little about that and what that might mean? Well, when you said that we might lose the step up in basis, I got to chill down my spine because (laughs) I know that, you know, as as a former estate planning attorney, yeah, that uh, concerns me. Uh, So obviously, if someone were to pass away today, and they have this low basis stock in their investment account, and they gift it to their children upon their death, okay? And they bought the stock, as I said, at 25 bucks, but at date of death, it's selling at $100 a share. Then the cost basis gets stepped up for that child who receives it, the stock, up to that date of death fair market value of $100 per share. And then therefore, if that child's going to turn around and sell that stock, there's very little to no gain if they have a basis of 100 and they sell it for 100. But as you said, if, if Congress tinkers with that, and there definitely is some talk that that could happen, then the child receives that stock, not at that step-up basis of $100 per share, but they'd have it at, at $25 a share. And, that's, and that would create more tax liability for that child and more revenue into the hands of, of Uncle Sam as you said. So gifting low basis stock during one's lifetime to public charities definitely makes some sense, especially if that low basis stock uh, availability goes away at some point in the future. No, that's, I love that. So Tim, before we move on from the, the discussion around low basis stock, could you just let the listeners know if they bought it at 25, it's currently worth a hundred. If they gifted that today, would they receive a tax deduction today? And if so, is it based off of the $25 a share or $100 a share? Great question. It's very important for our listeners to know it's based on that $100 per share. Yeah. So that's the other real benefit of gifting low basis stock is that cost basis does not come into the equation of calculating the tax deduction. Great point, Cameron. Great point. Absolutely. So now I want to shift to some of the obscure. Okay. So we all know in the world of estate planning, charitable giving, it could be as simple or as complex as you want. Tell us just a little about what are some of the, I'll call them a little more complex, still not, you know, definitely not as complex as you can get, but what are some of the more unique strategies that you're seeing doctors use for gifting? Right. Let's start with a charitable gift annuity. Okay. A charitable gift annuity is where a physician were to gift money into this charitable gift annuity, 
And in return, they receive a dependable fixed stream of income for life. That is a huge attention getter. Not enough physicians know about the charitable gift annuity. So when they do talk to them about it, they like that. Wait a minute. So if I make a gift, I get income back. That is correct. There's other benefits to charitable gift annuity. That income stream that they receive for life is fixed, meaning it's not dependent or impacted by the ups and downs of the financial markets. Stock market crashes, they're still getting their fixed dollar amount. The assets of the charity support that as well. So the larger the charity, the more secure and dependable that income stream is. Charitable gift annuities to create are very easy to do, and you get a charitable tax deduction up front. It's very hefty, very nice, very easy to create. Now, the key component that I want to remind our listeners, the charity isn't using and spending that money necessarily while it's in this charitable gift annuity vehicle. They only get to use and spend the money when the donor passes away. And they use the money depending upon how it's directed in the gift agreement. Most charities have these charitable gift annuities available. Not all do. A medium and large size charities do. And usually maybe we'll say $10,000 is needed as minimum to fund. Some of you go as low as $5,000 to fund a charitable gift annuity. So those are very popular with the physicians that I work with once you get to talk to them about that. Again, some folks want that dependable income stream back a small way to stabilize a portion of their income or retirement income. Just to clarify, if you, let's say if you set the gift rules today, is that something you can change in the future? So again, if you have that income stream for, you know, 15 years and later in your life, you change and say, Hey, I want to do this with the money instead, or, you know, this is where I want the money to go instead. Are you able to change that? Or is it kind of set in stone up front? Well, the income stream amount is definitely set in stone up front. Yep. That cannot be changed. If someone says, hey, I want a higher annuity rate, well, then they, need, they, they can create a second charitable gift annuity. The older you are, the higher the annuity rate, the higher the annuity rate, the higher the income. With regards to the terms of the gift agreement, yeah, those can be changed a little bit later downstream, but they have to stay with that charity. They can't go to various. But it is good to know. I mean, the, the flexibility of change, that's, Again, when it comes to charitable giving and estate plan, that's kind of the crutch a lot of people want to lean on as well. I can't change it. I don't have control somewhat. So it's nice to know that you can still change it down the road as far as what you intend the money to do. Within that charity, correct. Correct. Nope, that's great. All right. This is like industry hot term buzzword right now. So I want you to talk about it. Donor advised funds, (laughs) DAF, right? You hear it all over the place. Tell us what it is. How can it be used? Because we're hearing it all over the place from our doctors. You've got a DAF, DAF, Donor Advised Fund. You know, historically, those weren't very popular just because they weren't known and widely used, but they certainly have been now. And historically, and even maybe even today, they're very popular with physicians and business owners that need a tax deduction, but maybe they don't have a, currently have a charity they're very passionate about. So, the solution is you gift money into this DAF, this donor advice fund, because it gives you that desired charitable income tax deduction that you need. But there's more in terms of a benefit. The benefit that physicians love is really twofold, in my opinion. One is you can invest those assets within a, a DAF. So if you put in, we'll say, 25 grand, you don't make any distributions in the first year or two but you invest it, perhaps that 25 grand turns into 30 grand. Isn't that neat? That's wonderful. And it is. Mm -hmm. 
other benefit of a DAF uh, that physicians love is the word control. <laughs> They're under total yeah. control, right? They can make one distribution out of that DAF to charity, or they can make 20 in one year, or they can make none. They're in total control as to how often the assets in the donor advice fund, in the DAF, are distributed to charity. In fact, I want to caution our listeners real quick because I get this all the time with physicians who have a DAF. They kind of forget that when you make a gift into the DAF, that's your charitable tax deduction. You don't get a second tax deduction when you distribute money from the DAF to the public charity. That'd be a fantastic tool if you could create that, Tim. It I would. Have- <laughs> and I don't think Congress is tinkering with that, right? They're not. Yeah, that's we only get the one tax deduction up front. Oh, great clarity, though. Yes. So those are very popular. And one thing I like to remind our, our donors with and our physicians who are listening is, you know, what happens with that donor advice fund if there's assets remaining in it on their death? They have two options. They can name a charity as a beneficiary on it, uh, as similar to an IRA beneficiary designation, if you will. Or, of course, the owner physician can name a successor, take over the ownership of that DAF, and that successor owner, if you will, controls the distributions moving forward. Very interesting tool that's getting a lot more popularity lately. Yeah. And they're fairly easy to access. I think that's another key point to make is, you know, every financial advisor, we have our own DAF to access. You can get them online. I mean, it's very accessible, very easy to manage. I mean, if you're looking for that very simplified way, and and to your point, I think the biggest advantage is if you are on the bubble of, I want to do this, I know I'm charitably inclined, but I'm not really sure where I want the money to go yet, that it's a fantastic tool. So I think you're going to hear more about it. Yeah, it's great that we're talking about it. So I bet you have a million stories from your career. I want you to think of maybe one to share with the listeners, because I would love to hear when you used a unique strategy or when you had a unique situation, obviously no personal information, but can you tell us a story of when you helped the doctor with uh, some charitable giving? Yes. You know, and I need to first start off with the fact that what I've encountered in my experience is a fair amount of physicians help a sibling financially. They don't necessarily fully support them financially, but they help. And so this kind of reminds me of a husband wife that I worked with recently, a few years ago, husband wife, both were cardiologists. And they each created a charitable gift annuity. I alluded to a charitable gift annuity a little bit earlier, where you put money in, donor receives income for life. In this context, they each created their own charitable gift annuity but the income stream was gifted to their sibling that they each currently and have been for years helped support. So the, the wife cardiologist, she gifted money into a charitable gift annuity during her lifetime. And that is helping a little bit financially support her sister, who's married to a factory worker, as a matter of fact. And then the husband cardiologist, he did what is a testamentary CGA. That charitable gift annuity wasn't in existence until he were to pass away. It springs to life. And in fact, unfortunately, he did pass away in 2020. So the estate did give us the money into a charitable gift annuity. And his sister, who is a hairstylist in Chicago, is receiving that income stream um, during her life to help supplement the income that, you know, he had each of those cardiologists had been helping their sibling for a period of time. So this strategy generated tax deductions on the income side and the estate side. And it really eased the administration of having to take care of their siblings. It continued that income stream goes to the siblings for the siblings' lifetime. It isn't measured by 
when the donor passes away. And that was really neat to see. And as I said, each of those siblings are still receiving that income stream today. I think that's a great reminder. I'm just running through my head the number of physician clients I have that support family. And a lot of times, even even like parents, obviously, there's a, a very strong you know, tendency to give back to parents that help support them through medical school. I mean, this could be a, a really cool strategy to utilize with them as well. Obviously, it would be potentially higher income for a shorter period of time, but all that could be worked out. So that's a great strategy. I never even thought about that. I appreciate you sharing. Yes, yes. It, when I mention it to physicians, they do stop and say, listen, let me hear a little bit more about that. Now, yeah. again, they don't all pull the trigger, but they're at least interested, but a fair amount have been moving forward with that. And these, these, this husband-wife combination were the perfect example to illustrate today. Wonderful. All right. So as we wrap up, so Vestia, our goal is to help physicians achieve what we call wealth that matters. And to us, it's very similar to your conversations you have, Tim. You know, we want our clients to focus on more than just the balance sheet. We want them to use their time and their resources to achieve what matters most to them. And so we want to build financial plans and help them financially to support everything else personally and professionally that means the most to them. So I'm going to turn it personal for just a second. So it's our tradition to ask our guests, in your opinion, Uh it can mean whatever you'd want. What does it mean? to achieve wealth that matters to you? Wealth that matters. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is active, uh, active wealth. So let me kind of think that through for a second. Active wealth, you know, really it's, it's wealth that's sufficient enough, I guess, is to, to enable you to make a mm-hmm. difference in your family, to make a difference in your community or beyond. That's what I think wealth that matters. We all have wealth, <laughs> but having wealth that matters is a different level and a different focus. And to me, it makes me think of active wealth. No, oh, I love that. And again, to your point earlier, it is objective, right? The amount that you need and I need and our listeners need are going to be very different amounts, but it's being intentional about that to run the numbers, see what it takes for you to feel like you can have that wealth that matters, support the causes, support the people, everything that you're passionate about. So this has all been fantastic. I'm going to summarize a couple of things for our listeners, and then I'll see if you have anything else to add, and then we'll kind of wrap up. So the first thing that I took that I sensed as an overarching theme is I love that you focus on a tax smart strategy. It's again, for physicians every single day, taxes are a concern, whether it's on the business side or a personal side, a state side, there is so much that goes into that, but having a tax smart strategy, and really that starts by having good people around you. So making sure that you have somebody that's not just working on preparing your prior year taxes, but intentionally looking at the future, helping you make plans in accordance to what means the most to you to achieve that wealth that matters. And then just making those proactive changes because you could be as simple or as complex when it comes to this charitable gifting. But if it's something that you're passionate about, asking the questions to understand what alternatives are out there is the best place to start. And you just have to know who to turn to. That lifetime projection, the cash flow projection, I think that's a fantastic tool. If you really you know summarize that, it's a financial plan. If you don't have a well-rounded financial plan that take into consideration all these different things that are important to you, you'll never feel the freedom to make these intentional decisions with charitable giving 
or helping family or whatever the case would be. Is that a decent summary or anything else you'd like to add? That's a very good summary. And as you were talking, you know, just thinking that in my experience uh, working with physicians, as I said, for 20 years, some have and work with financial advisors and some do not. The ones that do not, you know, they make enough money and they're smart enough that they do okay. They do just fine doing their own financial planning to an extent, but there's a fair amount of things they're not fully aware of and not fully utilizing either from a planning perspective, like that lifetime cash flow projection and or taking advantage of some tax smart strategies. So I support everything you said. And, and I think, you know, having the right team members support and help a physician with their financial planning and their tax planning is paramount to, to maximizing all the opportunities available so that, you know, upon retirement, right. The, the goal yeah. is to yeah. comfortably. And to have done that during your lifetime and during your active uh, wage earning period. No, that was a great summary, Tim, and really appreciate all the insight. I think, again, being intentional about the planning, if you are a physician listening and saying, I like some of these strategies, they sound intriguing, maybe you haven't had those conversations, maybe you're trying to find who to turn to, talk with your advisor, talk with your CPA, talk with your attorney, just be proactive in getting the conversation started. If you really find yourself in a spot where you're saying, I don't know who to turn to or where to start, feel free to reach out to myself. Feel free to reach out to Vestia. You can visit us at VestiaAdvisors.com. There's a contact us form. Uh, No pressure, a big sales pitch, but it is very important. Again, this is our mission is to help physicians achieve wealth that matters. If this is important to you, it's important to us. So thank you to all of our listeners. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes. And until next time, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Doctor's Eyes Only podcast. We hope today's conversation advanced your journey to wealth that matters. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. We'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Vesti Advisors, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as legal or tax advice and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified attorney or tax advisor. This information is not an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Before investing, you should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses associated with investment products. Investment decisions should be made based off an individual's goals, time horizon, and tolerance for risk. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decisions. Investment advisory services offered through Vestia Personal Wealth Advisors, Vestia Retirement Planning Consultants, and Vestia Advisors, LLC. Securities offered through Osdell Financial Partners, Inc., 5187 Utica Ridge Road, Davenport, Iowa, 52807, 563-326-2064. Member FINRA SIPC. Vestia Personal Wealth Advisors, Vestia Retirement Plan Consultants, Vestia Advisors LLC, and Osdall Financial Partners, Inc. are independently owned and operated.